0: Welcome to Self-Improved, everyone. Happy Friday. Enjoy your weekend. If you're one of my fellow Yidden listening, Shabbat Shalom. Good Shabbos. Enjoy your Friday. And today we're going to just finish up the last little bit of the science of well-being. It takes two minutes. And then we're moving on to this other course that I didn't finish. Kind of cool on morals. But I'm telling you, you've got to stick around or skip to the TikTok portion. I know TikTok brings me so much wisdom and chokhmah. Please skip to the TikTok part because I'm telling you mind blowing concepts. Like I really enjoyed talking about the TikTok stuff. Go to that. Anyways, enjoy this self-improved. Take care. On a side note, I'm talking to Scott people on a side note. Do you ever he's popping his belly out right now? Do you ever get like little triggered trauma responses from like old behaviors from when you were out of shape and younger like (laughs) food. literally
1: food yes like eating like shit and just overindulging and having no control over my appetite tell
0: people the cake story
1: (laughs) (laughs) i used to to be so chunky as a kid and i used to have such a horrible i 100 had like binge eating like tendencies oh yeah i would go to birthday parties (laughs) i would go to birthday parties and i would eat way too much pizza and cake, like so many slices, all these different (laughs) slices of cake. And then every single birthday party, that I would go to, I would immediately start running around with everybody after cake and food, and then I would just barf. Every, I would just start barfing because right. I had no control. And then uh, it actually became an issue where like my friends' oh my parents God. would call my parents and be no. like, before the birthday party, and would be like, "Could you, could, could, um, could Scott just like maybe control, <laughs> control himself this time, just so that he doesn't throw up again?" Like it was a it was you, they
0: knew you as a kid threw up because you'd run around after eating too much cake <laughs> yeah, <100%. laughs> bro so but like you don't yeah i guess it was so long ago like you being in high school and different different scott you, you you don't there aren't any instances that come up and you're like and you all of a sudden fucking like freak out or get no no like you're kind of over that he's saying it's not trigger there aren't any deep triggers that no, get him not. having anxiety attacks over no. food and stuff yeah, yeah it's just like i think about how he fat he was. he like, thinks about he says he thinks about how fat he was <laughs> i love I him. Just, <laughs> I just think
1: about the lack of control i used to have and then sometimes i have that lack of control uh, yeah. and then i'm like oh fat yeah, scott, God, fat guys, scott stills here I'm
0: that's still old here. scott it's it's a shame that like you even say the words fat scott that like that's how you identified yourself it doesn't bother it, me like
1: it, some like somebody more sensitive like that would bother them and they like Someone would be like, "Oh, that's negative self-talk." Like, I have a healthy relationship, but it's it's a humor thing. Like, it it's is a, humorous. It's not a it's not a like. I used you're to be fat and shitty, and, and, and it's not. A, there's no negative connotation literally, to that. I can sense it, man. Yeah,
0: like, and it sounds like, yeah, you're over the. Like, did you ever? Did you ever beat yourself up over it?
1: A little bit, yeah. But I, even you're then, I wasn't like. Yeah, I'm. Like
0: your headspace is
1: definitely yeah, but like when I was a kid, yeah, I used to be insecure about it. But even then, I wasn't as insecure as like some kids were about being overweight. It was my biggest insecurity. But I know kids that were like crippled by it. Like mm. they were like so insecure, didn't couldn't make friends. Like that was all they thought about was like their body image. Whereas like I did struggle with that, but it wasn't to the extent that a lot of kids do. It yeah, didn't. Yeah. It didn't plague me the way the way you would expect it to i guess but it did bother me that was my biggest insecurity is something i had to work through but it's not it wasn't like awful growing uh, up i guess like you, yeah
0: yeah and, and i guess those are the people that might still be affected by shit for sure. um well my
1: dad like my dad actually taught me to have like a healthy relationship with that and be able to like joke about it yeah, like my dad yeah. taught me how to, huge, my dad because my dad would like make fun of me in a healthy way and like and i would yeah we okay, would tease okay. each other and joke around and that gave me some thick skin and like some people might think that's bad parenting but i think it was fantastic parenting because if you can't laugh at yourself then you're gonna have a really shitty life like that's so if you true, if you man. can't admit that so true, if you can't like point out your own sh- like traits that are like and make fun of yourself and have friends around you that make fun of you and poke fun at you then you're going to take yourself too seriously and you that you need that shit to humble yourself and it, you laughing at yourself is like the most humbling thing and it just keeps you keeps you in check and uh, my dad taught me that at a young age so then i learned to be able to like find humor in that and be able to like joke about it and that's why i joke about it
0: now. and i've been able to sense that wholeheartedly over the last few years i've known scott like it's that you have really good control over your past. Like there's no, I had never sensed any pain from that. Our part of your life as much as we've actually addressed it a lot. If yeah. you think about it, we've talked about it a lot, but there you go, people. There's the cake story. All right. We're going to be finishing up the science of well-being course week six and seven so fast because there was barely anything in there. So week six, there were no rewirements. Um, and really, they talk about something called whooping, and that oh my god! Oh my. I hope y'all heard that. If if you didn't, you don't know what I'm laughing about. Wow, I don't know what Scott's been eating, but anyways, anyways, whooping. Oh god, that that fits. He said he was whooping out of his butt. All right, you gotta contrast your thoughts and fantasies. What does that mean? So if you have a good fantasy a positive thought i want to win the championship you have to think about what obstacles will stop you from winning the championship that way you can plan for it so the acronym actually stands for wish outcome obstacle plan wish for something think of that outcome think of the obstacle plan for it so my favorite story and the epitome of this is michael phelps this guy would swim so much looking at the bottom of a pool for hours and weeks and weeks His coach said, okay, always think about winning, think about winning. And then he actually in his head said, I need to think about the goggles falling off my punem." So what happened was in an Olympic race, his goggles did fall off his face or they filled with water or something. But because in his training, he had thought of this already. He had planned for it. He counted his strokes and he actually set a world record that race because he simply knew how many strokes he needed to set a world record or win the race. That is whooping. You can do this with anything. And they actually say it leads to higher success. When, they say, when I say they, I'm talking about people who have studied this and done studies, PhDs who have done studies on whooping. Because yes, there's literature on this. So I want you to do this exercise right now listening to this. Think of your fantasy. Okay, what's something you want that you're wishing for? Okay, you got it? What does that outcome look like of the wish? You got that outcome? What is one obstacle that will stop you from reaching that outcome. Think about it. Good, you got it? Make a plan. How could you prevent that obstacle from happening? Or if it does happen, how will you overcome it? A person that did this really well is Steffi Cohen, a power lifter. She went into a meet. Failed at a lift she knew she could get because of some injuries. Was distraught. Crippled, So she hired a sports psychologist. The sports psychologist said, you must whoop. So guess what? They planned for a failed lift. What happened a few years later, world championships, she failed a lift she knew she could get. But because she had planned she was going to fail, when it happened, she wasn't distraught. She said, oh, I know I can do this lift. Like, I knew I'd fail this lift that I know I could do, if that makes sense. And she simply hit the next one. She actually went up and wait. She didn't even try it again. She just went up and wait because she knew she could do more and that failing at a lift she could do is part of the plan. See what I'm saying, that's the power of whooping. We can all do this. Now I've actually tried whooping in pickup tennis, of all things, I've tried it while I played tennis with a buddy and it works. And I played badminton in post-secondary level and I wish I knew about this when I did that. I did it a little bit unconsciously without even knowing what whooping was, but with my buddies I'll do this and it works. Like I miss a shot that was easy and instead of freaking out and going, oh, why me, woe is me? I say, I know I can get that. So I just turn around, and I literally am moving on to the next point. I'm not in the past anymore. Anyways, so athletes really benefit from the Same thing as at the workplace. You make a mistake at work, you go, oh, instead of saying, woe is me, and I suck, you know you can do that task just fine. So you turn around, move on, get the next task, because you know you'll get the next one. You know it. That's how confident you are, and you don't fret. Week seven had one rewirement, which was doing the rewirement you felt the best doing throughout the entire course, because this was the last week. Even though it was a 10 week course, the last three weeks was actually just writing an essay or some paper and getting, anyway. I didn't want to do that because I'd gotten, I'd sucked every little bit of wisdom and oh, come on, out of this course. So I found the rewirement I liked the most was giving food at the grocery store to the, the food bank. Now, fun fact is I, I was doing this, doing this, and I talked to people about it, and they said, Zev, they're they're getting to save all the tax. So then what I do now is every year, January 1st, I just go to the food bank, donate 200 bucks, because that's roughly what it would have been throughout the year, and then get a little tax write-off. But anyways, giving food was something that gives me joy to this day. And in Yiddish, we have a saying, it's naches. And there's another Yiddish saying, shepping, which is scooping something. And usually you say, I, I'm shepping nachis. I'm scooping up the joy. Anyways. And that was it for the chorus, people. That was it. it was, I told you to be quick. And so... My takeaway, because you're wondering, was that this is one of the best courses I've ever done in my life. I'll tell you. Um, Incredible. And I forever think about what I learned in this course. Every day, sorry, not every day, every week, roughly, I end up recalling something I learned. I was lucky enough to do this course with Scott, my colleague. We were calling each other once a week, breaking it down, and just having epiphany after epiphany. And coming to all these realizations... About our lives and other people's lives and for that i love this course and i recommend it to so many people now what's funny is i have friends who took psychology in school they say this was all common sense for me i was a schmo i've never done anything psychologically regarding studies it was blowing my mind every time i learned stuff so if you don't want to take this course because you don't like watching the videos and whatnot or reading that's okay go listen to the happiness lab dr roy santos has a podcast where she talks about almost all of this stuff And I remember I listened to the happiness lab before I listened to the well-being course and a lot of this I was relearning a little bit So anyways, happiness lab one of my favorite podcasts to this day I listen to it and she talks about everything in that podcast that she talks about in this course. It's free It's from Yale. It's on Coursera. Go check it out All right folks, so I took another course called morals and living the good life. This was second lockdown I didn't get through it all but there were still, hey Joanne, how's it going? But there were a few things that I really liked about it. This first little bit of Chokhmah absolutely blew my mind. I was talking about it with everybody. So, morals and well being are two separate considerations in everything we do. So, if I ask you a question, is giving to charity the right thing to do versus not giving to charity? It's kind of, it sounds rhetorical. Of course, the right thing to do is to give to charity. So, if a person has $10 to their name and they give to charity and now they don't can't afford food or shelter that is not the right thing to do because they are sacrificing their well-being on the contrary if a person has lots of money and they can still afford shelter and food then morally it is the right thing to do to give to charity and this is where morals and well-being they're, they're two separate considerations okay so the right thing to do actually depends on if a person is going to have their well-being in check and their morality in check that determines the right what's right and that is for life in general what is being affected your morals or well-being okay in every circumstance that's what i really found cool about this part of the, of that course sometimes you have to consider morality before well-being and sometimes you have to consider well-being before your morality some people are hedonists. They believe in just seeking pleasure. I actually argue some people are subconsciously hedonistic. They don't realize that all they do is seek pleasure, so, but they don't identify as a hedonist. They don't seek pain. So think about a lot of the fragile people out there in the world that hate pain. I can think of a million people in my life. And anyways, but they don't identify as hedonists, but really they are. So there's a MIT baby situate uh, baby predicament, and this proves hedonism wrong. And this is how it goes. Would you rather give a baby to an adoption agency that hooks it up to a pleasure machine for 100 years and then the baby after 100 years dies as an old man or woman? Or would you let the baby live in our real world? And I know it sounds like the Matrix because that's kind of what they're getting at here, okay? They're getting at the fact that of course we wouldn't hook this baby up to a hedonism machine. We, We know that the only reason we experience joy, Nachis, is because of the yin yang theory, because on the contrary, we have sadness. Without the dark, there would not be the light. And that is how they, that's how they talk about yin yang is using that baby predicament. And it reminds me, I remember, I think I talked about it in a past episode that there are all these constants in life. And if these constants, these things that in essence never ended. So if the hedonism never ended, if a note in music never ended, If dead silence never ended, like if there are a bunch of things that in light, if it never ended, then we wouldn't even have the concept of the contrary. Okay, so we need to appreciate the contrary to everything because then it gives us the contrary. To put it quite literally, we need to appreciate the moon because that means we can call something the sun and vice versa. The teacher mentions ethics and morality tie into God figures. And then they go on to say atheists cannot argue why we possess ethics and morals, but I completely disagree. I think a lot of things come down to natural selection. And ethics and morals, they stem from motivation to an extent. And motivation is created in our limbic brain, which is in the middle of our head. There were humans that potentially did not have a limbic system. And for that reason, they did not have motivation. And that led them to die. Because without motivation, we wouldn't be motivated to hunt and do things that keep us alive. And ethics and morals, they actually keep us together. Without them, we cannot live together. So humans had to learn to live together in order to survive. And that is why I disagree with the course. But it's a philosophical course, so keep that in mind. But I do disagree, I think, potentially, that ethics and morals... You know, um, they, it was natural selection. That's why we have them. Earlier in this course, they make a statement. God exists because ethics and morals exist. However, they mention that this is a contradiction, okay? So bear with me. This is going to sound like a riddle, but if you prefer running over yoga, okay, you prefer yoga over cycling, but prefer cycling over running, that might seem irrational. And if you didn't follow me there, think about it. Since you prefer running over yoga, that means, you, and you prefer cycling over running, that means you prefer cycling over yoga. But I just mentioned that a person prefers yoga over cycling. So it does contradict, right? In that statement, by saying, I'll say it again, if you prefer running over yoga, prefer yoga over cycling, but prefer cycling over running, that pretty much says that you prefer cycling over yoga, even though I just said that you prefer yoga over cycling. So again, that seems irrational. And because if you break that down, it doesn't make any sense at all, but it's, it technically does. That's the thing. It Technically, you could prefer cycling over running, even though you prefer running over yoga, even though you want to do yoga more than cycling. So it makes sense, but at the same time, it doesn't. And um, that is why it says there's a lack of ethics there. And they say God exists because of ethics and moral and morals. So according to this and this is philosophy right they find contradictions in how we think one could say god doesn't exist because you could have contradictions like this in life now um, i pose the question could that situation never exist like is that just a tongue twister i don't know you tell me the course goes on and then talk about cognitive dissonance or moral conviction that you know if two people they have fundamental values that are true to them then they're both right in their own separate desires anyways and i've talked about that on this as well so go look up moral conviction or cognitive dissonance it is really interesting and it will humble you because any opinion you have that you believe is horribly wrong because the laws we've made in in north america it will flip the script for you and you'll start to just humble yourself being oh maybe i'm not right and i'm just morally convicted anyways that was that little mini course like i say nothing crazy but enough that look at this it made me rant a little bit and i really like talking about philosophy which it was a philosophical course let's move on i believe we got some tiktok wisdom aka Hochma here listen up they who blame others is a long way to go on their journey they who blame themselves are halfway there they who blame no one has arrived. I absolutely love this. I remember when I first read this and it was breaking my paradigm because we take everything personal and we, we love to blame as well. Right away, this reminded me of my sister. This reminded me of some trauma in the family and how forever we used to blame and criticize and say the trauma was because of this. And, that. and once you realize everyone's projecting. You come to a point where you blame nobody. It was not your fault. It was not their fault. It was nobody's fault. I remember reading that and wanting to cry. I was listening to a beautiful song in the car as well. And I, I actually did start to cry. And I started to think of this. Because yeah, when you think of your own bullshit in your life. Think of this. All right. Don't blame. It's nobody's fault. Especially it breaks my heart when people blame themselves. It's nobody's fault. Jay Shetty and Think Like a Monk says, Inexperience is not a fault nor malice. It's not your fault. Don't blame anybody. We are all projecting. I know it's a philosophical theory, but I really believe it. We are all projecting our past baggage. Once you accept the polar opposite to what it is you want, you are then free. You have created space to achieve it. For example... If you fear of being broke, you have to say, okay, I could be. That's an option. But don't let the fear relay across your subconscious, paralyzing you, stopping you from seeing opportunities. So think about that. Think about the fear will literally blind you. It is going across your face and you are blind to opportunities that would stop you from being broke because all you can think about is not being broke. Fill in the word broke with anything you want. Okay, You could be the worst athlete. You could die. Accept that these are options. It could happen. And no longer are they fears. Because you you're accepting that they could happen. And then you see opportunity. The reason you aren't doing exactly what you want in this moment is because the past part of you still doesn't trust the believing part of you. Tell young children, you should be proud of yourself versus I'm proud of you. They'll develop intrinsic motivation that way. They'll learn to be proud of themselves or try, you must be proud of yourself or boy, you must be really proud of yourself for what you just did there instead of I am proud of you. they'll they'll never look for extrinsic reward once they have that ingrained intrinsic motivator. The 80 year rotation. So this is when a weak generation causes surus, that's Yiddish for a disaster, and that will breed a strong generation. That strong generation will breed a comfortable generation. And the comfortable generation will breed a weak generation. And we're back to where we started. The weak generation causes surus. And this man predicted that a strong generation is coming out of this decade. The, the Gen Zers, a.k.a. The, the Zoomers, so even the kids who are just being born, are going to be the strong ones. Okay, that's the theory, just because of all the fakakta going on in the world right now. I'm going to make a bold prediction that helicopter parenting is slowly extinguishing or being extinguished, I should say, um, diminishing, decreasing. Our thoughts and feelings about ourselves are tied completely to our results and experiences in life. In a book, As a Man Thinketh, the author mentions that life is but a looking glass, reflecting all beliefs back on ourselves. In psycho which I'm reading and I'll do a book summary of, Maxwell Malt states we're a goal-seeking mechanism. We go about life seeking to fulfill our beliefs and biases about ourselves, confirmation bias. Our self-image, aka our beliefs, creates ceilings that we cannot bust through. You will never bust through these ceilings. You decide how high that ceiling is, however. Every CEO at one point believed they could be a CEO. That's where their ceiling was. An astronaut at some point believed they could be an astronaut. That was their ceiling. Janitors don't believe they could be an astronaut. They're not an astronaut. They created a ceiling for themselves. I personally do not believe I could be president of the United States. I've created that ceiling. I will never break through that ceiling. However, ceilings do change. They move all the time throughout your life. What up, Scott? Scott is just running around the place. Oh, my God. I thought he was going to fart again. (laughs) Check locker for your water. He's losing his water and he now. He's he's raising his eyebrows at me. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so that's on self-image And I I'll never forget that that everyone has a ceiling you will never break through it But you can move it and that's the thing there's no one on this earth that doesn't have a ceiling in their beliefs Nobody doesn't have a ceiling but your ceiling can fluctuate. I can't say it enough. Sorry for repeating myself side note I had seen a video saying that people who do repeat themselves to explain something apparently are more likely to have grown up in a household where they didn't get to speak a lot, weren't understood. And I actually just so happened to grow up in a house of six people, uh, nine when my mother was remarried and had and there were two other stepchildren in the house. So there was barely any time to talk. And even to this day, I'm a grown adult, but when I go to family gatherings, like you have to interrupt or you have to find the perfect break to speak. And maybe that is why I repeat myself all the time. I don't know. I must not be used to people listening to me or understanding. So because emotionally immature people have little awareness of feelings and very minimal vocabulary for their emotional experiences, they usually act out their emotions instead of talking them out. They get people to feel exactly what they are feeling. This is called emotional contagion. It's what babies do actually communicate their feelings until somebody fixes the issue. So think about it, a baby cries, they make loud noises until someone fixes what's going on. This is exactly how emotionally immature adults communicate their feelings. I call them adult babies. So think about it, when parents are super distressed, they will make loud noises, typically yelling, that will upset their children and everyone around them, typically with the result that others are willing to do anything to make them feel better, just like we do with a baby, just because we want the crying to stop. When I say crying, I'm talking about metaphorical crying. That when that adult is in distress and they're yelling at their family members, the children, their partner, the children and partner will do anything to make them stop. Just like we'll make a baby, we'll do anything to make a baby stop crying. It's really sad when you put it this way, that we are like people who yell are just adult babies because they can't articulate their thoughts, thoughts and emotions. Actually, doesn't that sound like a baby? Learn to communicate people and you won't feel the need to yell. Now, I was was talking to someone. They go, Zev, are you ever going to yell then? Like... And of course, if I see a kid about to walk across the street and a car's coming, I'm going to yell because that is out of fear. But when it comes to my emotions, I know how to articulate how I'm feeling. And what's sad is in my life, I've noticed that some people, they want me to yell because it will give them an excuse to misbehave or cry out. I don't know. And that's a hot take. But I have upset people for not yelling and being super chill. And I came to a conclusion today where potentially it's a lack of sincerity. So I was thinking about this. Uh, My brother, for example, gets really mad when I do not yell with him. He'll start raising his voice and I choose not to. And I think he senses that I want to yell because in the past I've done it when we were younger. And he knows there's a lack of sincerity because to be sincere, you have to speak and use body language that correlates with your heart and mind. That is what sincerity is, people. And that alone and people forget this to be that's why we say oh they're so sincere that seemed genuine yeah because their body language and speech match their heart and mind now my heart and mind often does want to yell and tell people things but my body language and speech doesn't match up that is why i think it pisses some people off they go they can sense the lack of sincerity but i'm willing to sacrifice sincerity if it means not hurting someone emotionally right because it will hurt someone emotionally to yell when you could just tell them how you feel plus Side note, if you're yelling, please look inwards, you're scared about something you're insecure about something, and it doesn't have to be poetic or romantic, you could be insecure or scared about a messy room about your children misbehaving that you just are scared of misbehaving children because you were taught that was a bad thing by someone else in your past. Remember, we project everything we were taught in the past, we're just applying our knowledge. And someone taught us that a messy room is bad and that misbehaving kids is bad. And that's a fear. And so then the fear gets substituted as anger and anger often when can't be articulated is substituted for adult babies yelling, making everyone want to stop the yelling. Like it's a anyways, now I hope I painted the picture for you because of how fast paced social media is. Now it is everything else feels so slow. We have constant instant gratification. That slowness makes us really impatient. Because things like the news and shopping happens way too quickly, things like relationships and careers happen too slow for us. Many people feel lost, and sticking to long-term goals has become much more difficult. Uh, For this reason, patience has become quite a virtue. Think about that. So we must ask ourselves, what's more important, patience or instant gratification? When a person says, after all I've done for you, dot, 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 They're actually revealing that what they had done for you wasn't for you at all, but for their own need to control you. Their generosity was actually just a hidden contract with terms of compliance. Breach that contract and you become the problem. Isn't that a shame? That alone is a litmus test for the people you want to keep in your life, let me tell you. Society has changed so much thanks to smartphones. Now I know what you're saying. That's obvious. I knew that I'm not a Yutz, but specifically speaking, it's created an online experience. We receive thanks to algorithms. So this is why folks feel comfortable with their phone versus the real world where folks question and question and they think differently. The algorithms, they project, uh, they, um, protect the contrary. Okay. Like I want that to sink in people. It's actually quite sad that we feel more comfortable online these days because no one's disagreeing with us. God forbid we got our perspective questioned. We are so fragile. We, our egos are getting so filled up because of the algorithms that we are defenseless. You need to start to realize that nothing is yours. Your thoughts are being borrowed. And for this reason, you for that reason, sorry. You've thought of the contrary. You've thought of the opposite view. And so when someone talks about the opposite view to yours, you're not rattled. You're not going to crumble and get defensive and lash out. You're going to listen. But for those that don't understand that their views could be wrong, they prefer not to feel that pain of someone saying they're wrong. And that, that comes back to them fixing the insecurity of their knowledge. You know what I mean? A person that doesn't like being confronted is an insecure person. And I would argue social media is creating a lot of insecure, fragile people that do not like to be confronted on views contrary to theirs. Someday when you die, there will be someone who thinks about you for the last time. And then you will cease to exist forever. Listen to this the nine to five, the American dream, the good life. It's a perfectly designed trap, according to this person. They give you just enough to keep you hooked. The $80,000 a year, just enough to buy that house. A $1,000 raise every year, just enough not to quit and chase your dreams. They give you the promotion to boost the ego just enough that you're going to stay. 401k additions, just enough to keep you satisfied for when you're done. Before you know it, you're 35 years old and too far gone. You got the mortgage, expensive cars, Three kids, working 50 hours and no freedom. The kids are gonna to go to camp, play sports, vacations. This does not sound like a dream. This sounds like a nightmare. There's a story, it's of a kindergartner on graduation day before they leave to grade one. One of his friends dressed up as a police officer, the other a doctor, and another a basketball player. One of the children's asked the teacher if he could dress up as all three, and the teacher replied, No, you have to choose one path in life. This is wrong. More people need to realize you can do many things. My aunt just got accepted into law school last year. She's 67. She went and taught in the school board for a little bit after not graduating high school. And then she finished high school later on. Went and taught in the school board. Then became a paralegal. Then went and applied for law school. Isn't going to do it, but just wanted to see if she could make it. Like, that's one anecdotal story of of being able to do whatever you want later in life. Why is it ageism is a thing people? Like we for some reason have decided by this age you do this, by this age you do that. That's not the case. Like you can flip the script. I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm here to plant that seed for you. If no one has planted that seed, I am here to plant it for you. You can flip the script. You don't have to conform to the ageism tendencies we've been provided. Like <laughs> I can't I, here I am repeating myself again, but honestly, I was even debating one day if I'm retired, just go back to school, become a teacher for a few years to experience what it was like. Like I've always wanted to experience what it would be like to be a teacher. Um, Heck, I could get hired in a private school too and and teach in a private school. But I'm just saying like it's endless, endless. Do whatever you want. And I know that sounds cliche. I hate cliches. But what I'm – instead of saying do what you want, what I'm saying is, is like you can have multiple careers. I don't know who taught you. You couldn't. And I totally understand if it's a financial thing. Like you don't want to go to school again. It's expensive. Multiple careers could be expensive to have. Uh, like 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 I just said, the promotions, blah, blah, blah. I get it, okay? I'm just here to plant that seed. That's all. There's a quote. The greatest trick was having to search externally for our savior when we are here to save ourselves. Now that makes me think of inner outer world, like all that. Yeah. Our inner world creates our outer world, and our outer world then feeds that inner world belief system. But when we deal with our own issues, we forgive everyone and reframe life itself, in my personal opinion. When we can look inward, no longer do you take things personally. No longer do you blame people, okay? You're just blaming past stories, past after past after past. Like it's one big energy transfer, and it, it belongs to nobody. And that's where people start thinking of the universe and the unknown and I guess if you want to call it God, because that energy did stem from something, unless here we are thinking there's start and an end, because think about it, as humans we've always constructed born and dead, like birth and death, start and finish. We've always thought that, but like I don't know, philosophically, what if... There literally is no such thing as a start and a finish. We just, as humans, constructed that. So therefore, maybe energy never was created. And that's the way it was. Like, there was never a start ever. And that's just the way it was. Who knows? And that's what I'm saying is we're always searching externally for our savior. You, you got to look inward. You're here to save yourself. I'm just saying. You, you, It's up to you. And that's how I'm going to finish this podcast today. It is up to you. Look inward. Constantly look inward. Be your own best friend. Be content in solitude amongst your awareness. Just look inward. It's up to you. No one will help you. People will shine a light on how you can help yourself, but that's still not them. They, they got that from someone else. They're borrowing that attribute from someone else. Okay. It comes down to you. And, and then you could go further and just say you realizing you need to help yourself and look inward that attribute you're getting from someone else you're getting it from me i got it from someone else like we're always just borrowing mindsets not just physical things we're borrowing all the physical things in life we borrow as well including our bodies mindsets and i guess specifically thoughts we borrow our thoughts i'm just saying it's philosophical so you can't say yes or no like you can't i'm not stating that as a fact it's a theory but you're borrowing your thoughts attributes and characteristics as well I'll leave it at that. You know, you'll forgive everyone when you start looking inward. I'm telling you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. I always have so much fun doing that. Rate five stars if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And have a great weekend. Shabbat Shalom. Shalom Aleichem. My Mishpoche. See ya.